And the title of the message this morning is What to Do with What You Know. What to do with what you know. And uh, I think there's a lot of circumstances in life where we kind of know what to do with what we know, but are we willing to do what we know we should do with what we know? That's a different subject, right? It's kind of something that I've seen. I won't call it a natural phenomena because it's really not a phenomenon. But I, over the years, I've had many people come into my office and say, hey, Pastor, I got this decision to make. What, I, what should I do? And I said, well, you really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. And you tell them what to do, and they go do the opposite, and it makes a big mess. Because everybody has a choice. And uh, you know what to do, and you just kind of want confirmation to that you what, you sh- you, what you're about to do is what you should do when it's really not what you should do. And, uh, but we've seen this a lot over the years. Maybe we're even guilty of it ourselves. But Well, maybe not you. I am. Um, but I know as we look at this next text of Scripture, we're going to see a principle very basic to every one of us as it relates to what we do with what we know concerning the Word of God. And uh, I'm convinced, at least in my mind, that a lot of churches talk about this principle, but in my opinion, very few churches actually practice the principle. And so let me also reiterate this. The church is you and me, right? We're the church. And the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones that we go out. And as I say many times over the years, the church goes to work. The church you know, goes to school. The church goes to the grocery store. The church goes to the gas station. The church goes everywhere that we go to run our errands. And so the church, when I say the church, there is a part of us that says, hey, the church needs to be doing this. And a lot of churches, and as I say plural, as far as local organizations and local bodies and local fellowships, We talk about it because on paper we offer this. But really it's not a program, right? Uh, So often of what, and you say, well, I'm not sure what to say right about because you haven't told us what the principle is. Well, just agree with me for a moment. Um, (laughs) But we have this idea that, hey, the church offers this, and it offers this, and it offers this, and, and because it's on paper and it's on our website, we must do this, and we must do a good job of it. And I think nothing could be further than further from the truth for many local bodies in many local bodies of churches. And so um, so the principle that I think we find that is really basic to the church and what we should be putting into practice on a regular basis is that of discipleship. And um, the basic principle referred to in this text is discipleship. So before we get started, let's break down what discipleship is. But first of all, I want to read the passage, verses 1 and 2. It says, You, therefore... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there's a lot of things in that two-verse passage of Scripture. And we're going to break down it and kind of limit it to two things here just for a moment. But let me just kind of break down what a disciple really is and what discipleship really is and what a discipler is and uh, see where you fit into the picture here. So a disciple is one who willingly and anxiously learns everything his master can teach him. So it's pretty simple. That's right. So if we're disciples of Christ, that means that Jesus Christ is our discipler and that we're willing and anxiously awaiting everything that he can teach us. If we're not willing to learn what our master is willing to teach us, then we're really not a disciple. Um, I'm amazed that uh, as I walked into David's uh, uh, class lab last week, and I met one of the professors, and I'm looking around at all these engines, these big diesel engines everywhere. 
And I don't know the first thing about them. I mean, I know what a bolt is. I know what a nut is. I know what a piston sleeve is. But I, I have no idea how it all works. I just know you put diesel in it, start it, it runs. Uh, I like to keep things simple that way. Um, but, you know, as I look at it, it's like he is there to learn everything that a professor can teach him. Why? So that when he leaves, he can duplicate what the master has taught him, right? And that comes through learning willingly, anxiously, putting into practice, and putting everything together that has been taken apart so that you know you know how to do it. And so if you're not willing to learn and to come willingly and anxiously, you're really not a disciple. And when you put that into the context of a local church, a church should be filled with people who are born-again believers, people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and are actually not only like Christ followers, but they're actually disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that our goal? Isn't that our desire? And that should be what we want to be a part of, a program, not a program, but a, a practice of learning everything our master has to teach us, right? That's what a disciple is. So a discipler is one who teaches his disciples everything he knows, and in essence, he's trying to duplicate himself. So in essence, he's trying to work himself out of a job. He's trying to impart knowledge that he has had, experiences that he has had, wisdom that he has attained, and give that to someone else who willingly and anxiously wants to learn it so that if he passes off the scene, it doesn't matter because he's going to continue doing what, he did, what he's been doing, right? Pretty simple concept, right? So a discipler takes everything that he knows, everything that he has learned, everything that he has experienced, and tries to impart that wisdom to someone else who's willingly and anxiously ready to learn so that he can duplicate himself. So discipleship, then, is the process whereby one both imparts what he knows to someone who is willing to learn from him and learns what he can from those with more wisdom than himself, right? So you have one person who's imparting the wisdom, one person who's learning the wisdom. And uh, so you may recall uh, something that I've said many times before, that each of us should have someone we're learning from and someone that we're imparting wisdom to, right? Because that's what it says in verse 2, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but the idea of discipleship is not necessarily book and chapter and verse. I think some of my greatest discipleship moments came on, out, outside underneath a bus working with my youth pastor. I can remember many Saturdays, I mean a lot of Saturdays, where my dad was in the hospital, mom was working, I was just had nothing else to do, but my junior high years, my youth pastor would pick me up on a Saturday morning and we'd go work on buses. We had 10 buses in those days. Anybody remember the days of bus routes and bus ministries and nonstop going every week? Yeah. So every Saturday, there was a ton of bus work to do. So every Saturday morning, we were out underneath the bus, getting them ready for inspections, you know, doing this, doing that, handing them stuff. But it wasn't what I was doing whereby I was being discipled. It was what was being said as we were both underneath the bus. Times I wanted to quit, and I remember the phrase, I'll never forget it, buck up, Todd, life ain't easy. Buck up. Life ain't going to be easy. No one promised an easy life, right? No one said it was going to be you know, without trials and struggles and suffering and disappointments and temptations and all these other things. But my greatest discipleship came from my youth pastor underneath a bus on a Saturday morning. And the verses followed later, but the time was invested in me. And so it comes back to the question, who are you learning from, or have you learned it all and you've arrived already? Or, or and, who are you imparting what you know to? Who are you investing in? Who are you an investor in? 
Who is looking to you to learn? Who is looking to you that they may get through this next step of life? We said this way. Each of us should have a Paul that we're learning from, and each of us should have a Timothy that we're investing in. And that's what this passage is all about. So just before we get started this morning, as we kind of just think through this whole principle right off the bat, I just want you to do a couple things. Number one, be honest between you and God. Because you and God know the answer to those questions. Who am I learning from and who am I investing in? Who is my Paul and who is my Timothy? You and God know the answer to that. Be honest about it. And number two, if God's word has challenged you concerning this, do something about it. Do something about it. Here's what I found in every church in America. Most every church, I think I can broadly make this general statement, is that there are people in the church, in the body of Christ, who have been followers of Christ for many, 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 many years. Maybe they've been in the church 25, 30, 40, 45, 50 years. And unfortunately, some of those have never learned. They've never grown. They haven't embodied the idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They don't invest in others. They're not learning from anyone. And they're not growing. And fortunately, we do have some that are growing. And we praise God for them. But I think every church in America has those who have been in the church for a long period of time. And they also have those who have just joined. They've just started to come. Maybe they're kind of checking it out. Maybe they haven't fully under, come to the full understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And they need somebody to be a Paul to them. And you need to have that Timothy in your life too so that it keeps you growing yourself. See, I found in my own life, I can't teach what I don't know. I can't teach what I don't practice. And if I'm not growing, I'm not teaching in many regards. Maybe not categorically, but generally speaking, if I'm not growing, I'm probably not teaching anyone either. I know that as a teacher, I learn far more than what I'm giving to someone else. It's just the way it works. You get this big sponge and you just, you've wrung it all up and you've stuck it down in that bucket of, of, of information and then you start to wring it out and as you're wringing it out some drips to the side but you're looking at the idea of trying to take everything that you've learned and impart it to someone else and as I said just so you don't get hung up on this idea it's not just a day of the week a certain time of the day and a certain type of material that you're going through Typically, it comes down to life touching life. So, let me put it that way this morning as we continue. Whose life is touching you? And whose life are you touching? That's discipleship. And when you can involve the Word of God into daily living, that's just the bonus. It's the icing on the cake to take the Word of God and practically apply it to where you live. I don't know about you, but I need that every day. I need the reminders every day. I know that I need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is with me and that He's got this situation that I'm going through or He's going to help me with that decision I need to make or He's going to be with my reaction to this news I just got that I just didn't like. I know that I need to continue to grow. I haven't arrived yet, as you well know. Mike was talking about a story this morning in Sunday school, and in just a moment I'll pray. He's like, 
Yeah, Pastor, you know, he's talking about Deuteronomy and, and uh, you know, it's, yeah, I just felt like I want to clock this guy. He's such a, ugh, I just want to clock him. He goes, now I know Pastor Ken will never do it. <laughs> you think. Um, no. And then we're talking about just, justice and fairness. And I just had a little caveat to add to that one in the clock, that guy. I just want to be God's instrument. I'll be a tool in his hand to take care of it. Why? Because my flesh wants to control circumstances, just like your flesh wants to control circumstances. And the reality is we need God to control the circumstances. And the only way we learn to do that is by letting the Holy Spirit rule in our lives. How do you do that? By continuing to grow. By continuing to be discipling and growing and so forth. Let's take a moment and pray and ask God to to meet with us this morning as we look at his word. Lord God, as we come before you, Lord, um, we see a very simple principle. In fact, two simple principles here in the text. And I ask God that you would help all of us to be honest this morning with where we're at in these circumstances. Lord, we talk about discipleship. We talk about, Lord, over and over about having a Paul and a Timothy and learning from some people and imparting what we know to other people. Lord, it's on our website that we're going to do it. It's part of what our core values are, but yet, Lord, we as a church don't do a good job of this. So, God, would you help us? Lord, as we humble ourselves before you this morning, as we look at your word, Lord, might we be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves, as your word tells us. I pray that you'd help us to be honest about it. And then, Lord, I pray you'd help us to do something about it. Lord, I pray it's not just another message that we've heard a thousand times that we just kind of tuck away in the back of our mind and forget about it hours later. I ask God that you'd help us to do something about it. Lord, that we truly invest ourselves in others, invest in others. Lord, that they too may grow and have a vibrant walk with you, Lord. So, Lord, meet with us, we pray, in this short couple of verses, Lord, that we dissect. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn what we'd, what you'd have for us to learn. And, Lord, put into practice what we're, what we're told, Lord, that we would Lord, truly know what to do with what we know. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins chapter 2 with two thoughts. And they're basically very simple, elementary thoughts. I think it's not only a, um, a, uh, an exhortation to young Timothy, but it's also something that we practically all can learn from in our day-to-day walk with God. And so Paul begins in chapter 2 with two thoughts. Be strong in the grace and being an investor, a discipler, imparting to others what they've known, what they've learned. And I really believe that these two areas deeply are needed in the church of Jesus Christ. And the absence of these two things uh, can have multiple broken hearts or can lead to multiple broken hearts and multiple lost opportunities for people to mature in their faith. Um, we've asked this question before, and I want you to think about it again. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have known people who have come into the church of Jesus Christ and for whatever reason have left? We all know people like that. Maybe they're here for a month. Maybe they're here for three months. Maybe they're here for two years. Maybe they're here for ten years. But for whatever reason, they're gone. They left. They got their feelings hurt. Somebody said something about them that wasn't true, wasn't accurate, or maybe it was true and accurate, just didn't need to be said, or whatever. They got their feelings hurt. They got angry. They got upset. They just, they're out of here. I believe that if these two things that we're about to look at were put into practice and deeply practiced daily, we wouldn't have those kinds of problems in the church. 
I absolutely 100% believe that. Because oftentimes we leave too soon without resolving the conflict, and we take those hurts and those conflicts with us to wherever else we go, if we go somewhere else. And we need to learn to deal with it. That's why within our discipleship ministry, we teach how to deal with other people when they take you off. Because you need to know how to understand that. You need to know what's at, what's at stake here. Um, usually, once a year, and the last couple of years I haven't done it, but usually I have that game of Jenga. And the game of Jenga, it represents the body of Christ. And every one of those little blocks represents each and every one of us that are in the body of Christ. And what happens when somebody who's been there for 8, 9, 10 years, 15 years, you know, is at the base of the foundation of that church, and all of a sudden we pulls them out? What happens to the structure? It falls. Or gets very weakened, at least. You see, it's because we need to understand how to deal with conflict. We need to be discipled in that area. We need to take the Word of God and learn from it. So that when someone says, well, I went to this other church because that church did. And it's usually not the church as a whole that did. It's usually one individual who is being rude or unwilling to accept blame or, or, or responsibility for something that was said or done. How many times has somebody left our church, went to another church and said, well, that church. And it wasn't the church, it was one individual. But because they weren't grounded in their faith, because they weren't practicing biblical forgiveness. Think about this, folks, just for a moment. If grace and biblical forgiveness was practiced and biblically practiced, what fault could we not overcome? <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Because when we say go, when we go up to somebody who's irritated us, ticked us off, made us mad, and we say, hey, did I do something? Well, usually if you ask that question, you already know that you have. But then the opposite response is kind of like a husband and a wife are mad at each other. Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. Well, I didn't know. Why? You know you're lying through your teeth, number one. And number two, you just don't want to deal with it. Right? But when you practice biblical forgiveness and grace, there's nothing you can't overcome. <clears throat> And so we need to learn to do that as a church. We need to learn to practice forgiveness even when it's not easy. Within our own families, within our own church families, if grace is not given, we miss an opportunity for God to work. When forgiveness is not granted, we miss an opportunity for God to work. And we take those hurts and those disappointments and we take them with us to other places we go. So... Each and every one of us needs to learn these things. So we need grace to abound just as God has blessed each of us with daily gifts of grace. We need investors of God's truths imparted to lives as much as possible. We need investors. We need each and every one of us to be investors. We're investing into other people so that God's grace can be seen and experienced. So just for a moment... Let's look at the verse 1 again. It says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is a big general term throughout Scripture. It has some specific meanings, but it also has some generalization meanings. And I can't say specific. So <laughs> it has some specific meanings. And uh, we've heard several acronyms for this verse or for this phrase many times. But grace is needed in the church of Jesus Christ. I've been in churches where there's no grace. You broke the rule. You didn't follow the guideline. You did this. And all of a sudden, no grace and no forgiveness and just leads to more hurt and greater disappointment. 
Someone said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. If that is true, and I believe it is, that's one general definition, God's riches at Christ's expense, who of us have not experienced God's riches? Just tell me. If you know Jesus Christ, have you not experienced God's riches at His Son's expense? Why would we not grant that to others who need it from us? We look at people and we have a great ability, at least we think we do, of stereotyping people. We look at someone who drives a $75,000 Cadillac and we say, man, they must be rich. They must just have it all. The bottom line is they might be in dead and hawk over their ears and they don't know which way is up. But we stereotype. We think we know. Or conversely, we see someone driving a piece of junk beater and we think, well, but poor them, they don't have any money. Maybe they do have money, they're just trying to be a different kind of steward than you. Maybe they're saving their money for other things. But we stereotype. We see people with a struggle and we just assume that we know why the struggle's there. And we don't. But especially in the house of God, we should not let that into our body, into our family. Because it destroys, it weakens, it tears down. And there's times that we need to, just as someone said to my wife years ago, Throw the grace card. Throw the grace card. So will they deserve it? No, but neither do you. None of us deserves it. At our core, we're jerks sometimes. I've said it for years. We as husbands need to build up the brownie point pile just as high as we can get it because we can wipe out that pile in a heartbeat. I mean, you tell me I'm lying. We need to build the brownie points, right, Don? We need to build them. Because there's going to be a day that you just, you just wiped out that entire pile without even thinking. And you can't take back what you said because words don't have erasers. But we say things in a moment that we know they're not true, we know they're not right, and they're hurtful, and they tear tears people down, and we do it. Because we forget the grace that we've been given. And we have been given a lot of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Somebody says, God giving us what we don't deserve. That's grace. If we got what we deserve, if we didn't get His mercy, every one of us, bar none, would be spending eternity in hell and lake fire. Right? That's what we deserve. But God in His grace. Someone says, God's unmerited favor. Favor. Think about that. We've experienced God's favor. That's His grace. Giving us what we don't deserve. A hope. Eternity in heaven. So how has God bestowed His grace upon us? Because if we don't understand what grace is, we will never give it to others. We have to understand and and realize and take in and absorb the grace that God has bestowed upon us. So let me just give you a few verses And we're going to kind of jump around just a little bit. And uh, I'm still trying to break in this new Bible here just a little bit. So my pages are sticky, so you have just a fighting chance to stick up with me tonight, this morning. Psalm 51.1, or 5, excuse me. It says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Think about that just for a moment. With no choice of your own, you were born a sinner. How great is that? Not very great. Born into a circumstance that you had nothing to do with. Not a one of you. 
we're all born sinners. But it doesn't stop there. Turn over to the New Testament in Romans chapter 3. We're going to reiterate this just for a moment and then see what God has done. Romans 3 and verse 23 is where we're going to start. So in Romans 3.23, you know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can we say it this way? You're born on the wrong side of the tracks. You didn't have a choice in the matter. It's where God chose to put you. You're born there. You're born a sinner. And then we look over in chapter 5 and verse 6. He says this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. That's you and me. The ungodly. And at God's time, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to pay the price for our sins that we could not pay. We were born in sin. Then you look at verse 10. It says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will, he not, will we be saved by His life? We were born enemies of God. Think about that. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be on that side of the fence. I want to be in His family. But yet I'm born as an enemy to God. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, he says, The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. You know, we were, built, we were born guilty of breaking God's laws. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We are born with an innate ability to take care of ourselves and our sinful problem. Colossians, just over a couple of pages there to the right. Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 21 says this. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. That's where we were born. That's pre-grace. That's where we were settled into a hostility towards God. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it tells us we are unable to save ourselves. Unable to even take care of the problem that we have. But then, God's grace steps in. Say, so do we deserve His grace? No. I mean, what, what do we do about it? You freely accept it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 read a couple of verses here. You're familiar with a couple of them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ coming to the cross, through him giving his life and shedding his blood, we get to partake of his grace. Which one of us, when he shed his first blood, drop of blood, deserved it? None of us. But through His grace, His immeasurable richness of His grace. And this is for verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift. When we get a gift, do we deserve it? No. Do we have to do anything for it? No. Do we have to work for it? Do we have to buy it? Do we have to somehow you know, bargain for it? No. A gift is a gift. It's free. 
you accept it. And when you think about that, how we are born in sin, hostile towards God, having broken His laws, without an ability to help ourselves, but then His grace steps in through His Son, Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I believe it is. Acts 20, verse 24. He says, But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that our desire? Shouldn't that be our desire? Shouldn't that be our focus? Is that we testify to God's grace? Because we know where we'd be apart from it. We know where we were when we were born apart from it. And then when God's grace steps in, it changes everything. Think about that. You were bound for hell. And then Jesus Christ came into your life. Changes everything. Wow. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me just tell you, I haven't even touched what the New Testament says about grace. I, I just grabbed a handful of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10 it says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. We're to build on the grace that God has given to us. How do we build on that? We expand it. We give it away, as he's telling us to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One more. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He says it's a throne of grace that when we go to it, we receive more grace. Who of us doesn't need God's grace? How do you find it? You go to the throne of grace where Jesus Christ sits, where God the Father is. Let's look back at our text here just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So everything that we've just learned about this grace that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us, he says you're to be strong in this. So I come back to one of my opening questions. What would, be the dif- what would be one of the greatest differences in every church that would show grace to one another in the body of Christ? I'm just telling you, there are churches out there, I don't know how they exist. Because this individual is just torqued at that individual at the opposite side. That family over there is irritated with this family because of what they said about their kid. That guy over there is just irritated because that guy over there help this person, but not that person. This person over here, God, has everything seemingly, and I don't have anything. I'm just mad at him. I'm jealous of him. I'm upset with him. What would be different in the body of Christ? In this local body, even. And let me just say it. I love my local body. I tell everybody all the time, every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Even if the Vikings did by some act of God, make it to the Super Bowl, it can't compare to an every Sunday coming here. I believe that. I love coming here every week and seeing everybody and giving a hug and receiving a hug and, and a genuine, how are you doing? 
and my phone going ballistic all week to the point I was like, oh no, I can't, th- I can't answer one more text. That's God's love in our local body. And I'm so glad, at least I think I know, that we don't have any major schisms where this person's torqued at that person. I think I'd have heard about it. We're not that big. But think about how much greater it would be if we would just show grace. Love and grace are tied. Did you know that? God's love and God's grace are tied intricately together. And if it's tied together for God, and there's lots of verses about that, if it's tied together, right, it should be tied together in our local fellowship too. God's grace and our love for one another go hand in hand. And it's genuine. We're going to show love to one another. We're going to extend grace to one another. It's not whether or not they deserve it. Because none of us does. It's not whether or not they can earn it, because none of us can. We do it because it's right. We bestow grace to one another because God said to be strong in this grace. We're willing to show the grace card because it's what God expects of us. And because love is tied with grace, when somebody does something, 1 Corinthians 13, love thinks no evil. My first response is, well, I can't believe they did that. My first response is, I know they didn't mean to do that. I know this is what came out of their mouth, but I know that this is probably miscommunicated. This is what they meant to say. That's love, according to 1 Corinthians 13. Love thinks no ill, no evil. So I know they didn't do it on purpose. But when we're self-centered, it's what you did to me. And even if it is, we show grace. And we'd be strong in that grace. Because we all need it. There are times that even our own family members snap at us. And there's times that we snap at our family members. Is it because we don't love them? Not necessarily. Sometimes we let stress and frustrations and anxiousness get in the way. And that's when we have to, even more so, show grace. Because I can't be responsible for that action, but I can be responsible for my reaction. And that's where the grace comes in. And Paul is telling Timothy, be strong in the grace. Why? Because remember, Timothy is going to receive the baton that Paul is passing on to him. Paul is going off the scene. He's sitting in a Roman jail cell. He's not going to be able to go around to church, church, to church and do the training of the pastors and the ministers and leadership of those churches. And Paul says, you've got to learn this because our churches need this. Be strong in this grace. Amen? Amen. It ought to be in our church. And I think we have a lot of it. But we can always grow. Because when grace is evident, God's love will abound. So we need to be strong in this grace that Paul is telling Timothy to be strong in. And then we see in verse 2 one more principle. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Wow. That's a loaded verse. It really is the basis and the foundation for all discipleship. All of us have heard many things in the presence of each other's company and the multitude of witnesses. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, maybe you've been here for a long time, maybe you've been here for a short time, but if you've been in church at all your lifetime, 
the bottom line is you've heard a lot. A lot. Right? Can we agree on that much? So now what do I do with what I've learned? What do I do with what, I'm, what I've heard? This is where the investing starts. You see, investing takes a long time. Nobody puts $100 in a 401k and next week gets $200. Say, so, where's that program? Oh, I sign up. It doesn't work that way. Investment takes months and months and turns into years and years, right? And then you get the reward of your investment and your hard, and your hard labor and your sacrifice. And you get the return on your investment. But here's what we're saying. This life that God gives us not about me it's all about him if it's about me then i'm going to live my life to please me i'm going to do what i enjoy doing doesn't matter what anyone else needs what anyone else thinks it's all about me and what pleases me and what brings me justice or i mean uh, uh you know comfort and and enjoyment and so forth but when it's about him and not about me my focus is different so in the body of christ it's a lifetime of investing it's investing in your Timothy and somebody investing in you is, their, is your Paul. We've talked about this over and over because I wanted it to get ingrained within our hearts, in our minds. So we're, de- we're dealing with this. If we're going to be able to minister in the culture that we live in as we talked about, we're going to have to understand these principles. And once again, just so you're not misconstrued in any way, it's not just about chapter and book and material. Sometimes it's under a bus. But the reality is, it needs to take place. We all need to learn and grow, and we all need to invest and disciple. And the reality is, many of us are not doing it. Let's be honest, and let's do something about what we've been learning about. So Paul says, what you've heard from me, so many of us have many years of investing, uh, of, of, of being a sponge who has absorbed, and we've learned principles and scriptures and teaching and foundational truths, and we've, we've, been, we've been just sucking it all up for years. But where are you wringing it out? Who are you teaching? Who are you investing in? Who are you building relationships with so you can help them grow? Who are you duplicating yourself into in this process of discipleship? Because he says, here's what we're to do with it. What to do with what you know? Verse 2. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit the faithful men. What kind of a verb is commit? Teachers? It's an action verb. Thank you. Commit is an action That means you have something to do. As he's telling Timothy, do this. Don't think about it. Don't ponder it. Don't mull it over. Do it. Do it. Sounds simple enough. Hey, Joe, let's go. It doesn't quite that easy, right? Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. But here's getting back a layer deeper. In order for me to invest in others, I have to be willing to 
grow myself and take the time to do it. My first year and a half here, I met with several men at 6.30 and 6.45 in the morning. Several men. Because I wanted to invest in them. I wanted to help them grow. I wanted to see them take another step. And by the way, we're still doing that. Some of it's formal. Some of it's informal. But the bottom line is, who are you investing in? What are you doing with what you know? It's like saying to somebody, I'll give you $5 million. I know they need 1.3, and I know they need you know, 700000 and I know they need 350000 This guy needs $500, but I'm just going to hold on to it. I have all this ability, but eh, they'll get through it. Eh, I know I could help, but pfft, someone else will do it. Yeah, I know I got this bank account and it's looking a little plump, and yeah, my money's making money, and I know I, I know there's need, but hey, got my own needs, got my own wants, my own desires, my own wish list, my own focus. It's like we have this un, unmeasurable gift of information and knowledge, and then we choose to do nothing with it. Let me just kind of bring it down another notch. We listen to the radio and we listen to the preachers nonstop. We listen to the music, we listen to, or to, to tapes of preaching and the CDs of preaching and the radio stations of preaching and we watch the television shows and we just keep soaking it in, soaking it in, and soaking it in, and soaking it in, and soaking it in. What happens to wood when it sits in water? Gets all mushy. You know, Go get some chipboard, some wafer wood. And just leave it outside during the rain. I know it's to build your house, but just, yeah, don't worry about it. Just leave it there in a the stack. It'll be all right. Wait, you ever seen chipwood, wafer board, particle board, after it sits in rain? <laughs> Worthless. No value. No purpose. That's why sometimes our brains get and our life gets when we've absorbed and absorbed and absorbed and you're never using anything that you've got. See, that wood is good when it's used, but sitting around, it's worthless. Folks, we need to use what God has given us. We need to be investing in people around us. So you're going to keep harping on this? Yes. <laughs> because we got to get this. We need to help one another grow. We need to keep extending grace as we're working with them. Keep growing. And look at another verse here in Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. Here's what happens when we don't invest in others. It says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from, the, from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Oh, wait a minute. Ouch. That's not good. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What happens? They didn't get grounded. 
And what happens when we don't get grounded is we start to believe anything and everything. There are people who post stuff on Facebook and this preacher said this and that preacher said that and this televangelist and this radio guy. And I'm thinking, no, quit, turn that off. But if you're not grounded in the Word, you'll believe anything and everything. That's why you, who have been in church for a long period of time, need to be investing in others. And even though you're investing in others, you need to keep growing so that you know the truth yourself and have become more confident in it. And he says, I can't believe you're giving it. It happens when you're not grounded in the Word. Second Peter. And with this, we're almost through. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm almost there. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory now and to the day of eternity. Isn't it interesting that he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Be strong in the grace, and what you've heard impart to others. Grace and knowledge. They go hand in hand. So the reality is that we need to be growing in grace, be strong in that grace, and then also in the Word of God. Learning it, growing in it, and imparting it to those that need us. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of, our Jesus, and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace abound. How does it come? Through the knowledge of God. You want to be able to bestow grace? Absorb it through the Word. Go to the throne of grace, and it'll give you more grace, Hebrews 4. We need this in our church. Every church in America needs this. We need it in our families. We need it in our workplace. Can you imagine what grace would do if a believer in a workplace would bestow grace? It might change the entire attitude of the, and, and focus of the entire organization. Grace changes everything. And we're operating in the knowledge of God's Word rather than in our own opinion. It changes everything. So these are the things that we need to grow. These are the things that Paul says, this is what you do with it. Now you know what to do with what you know. You give it away. I don't know about you, but it's a challenge to make life not about ourselves. It's just so easy to make life about ourselves. My problems, my frustrations, my wants. It's all about me. And God says, no, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It will never be about you. I want you to grow in the grace. And what you've been taught, find faithful people who will teach other faithful people. It starts with your willingness to continue to grow and then your willingness to invest in others. I don't know who the others may be for you. I really don't know. I have no idea who that other person is for you. I just know you need to do it. You need to find people that you can invest in. 
and people you can learn from. And God will bless that. Amen? So, I ask you to do two things in, before we started. Be honest, and then do something with what you know. And my question to you as we close in prayer is, what will be your next step? I think some of you need to make a phone call and say, hey, can I, can I set up a time to have some coffee with you? And start with just encouraging somebody. My discipleship started underneath the bus in eighth grade, seventh grade. That's where mine started. Yours might be started in the backyard. It might be started at Starbucks. It might be started at Tim Hortons. It's better than Starbucks. Yes, it is. Come on. Get right with God. No. If you want burnt coffee, go to Starbucks. It's all good. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But where does your discipleship need to start? Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to send an email to? Who do you need to send a text message to? Who do you need to call on the phone and say, hey, let's get together? And let me just say one more thing. Some of y'all just need a dose of humility. Because you're not perfect, even though you think you are. You're trying to portray it every week, but you're not, and I know it. And God knows it, and everyone else knows it. And you may just need to say to someone, I'm struggling. Can you pray with me? Can you encourage me? Can you help me find some scriptures to help me through this? Get rid of your pride. Humble yourself a little bit. Let somebody else's experience and wisdom help you. And you may be sensing that there's some struggling in someone else. You say, hey, can I pray for you? And let it start a relationship that will only grow. But what would be different in our own local church if we would be free with the grace and encourage one another through discipleship and start the learning process and you continue the growing process? What would be different? How does God want to use you? Let's pray.